0: From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals.
1: Welcome, everybody, to LPL Research's Market Signals podcast. Uh, I am Mark Zabicki, Chief Investment Officer of LPL. Joining me today uh, is Barry Gilbert, who is our Chief Asset Allocation Expert uh, on on LPL Research. Uh, Barry, how are you this morning?
2: Uh, I'm doing well. It's great to be here. How are you doing, Mark?
1: I'm, I'm doing uh, fairly well, feeling a little bit better about uh, what we're seeing out of equities. It's ser- certainly helpful for, the, for general sentiment. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, this Market Signals podcast is being recorded on Tuesday, uh, October 18th. And I um, want to just get, start by saying uh, that we have important disclosures that uh, the audience needs to be aware of. Um, uh, and we have important data on global capital markets that the audience also uh, needs to be aware of. Um, we are get, getting a little bit of a reprieve uh, in global equity markets here in the last, you know, couple of days. Um, that's you know uh, somewhat significant on the one-week returns that we're seeing uh, across the board, really, in, in global uh, equity markets, U.S. and other equity markets. Um, you know, included uh, in in that um, specific strength, also from an in individual U.S. equity perspective, in in financials um, and healthcare, which is also uh, fairly notable, uh, and also relative strength in um, in in real estate. So, um, Barry, I know that. Uh, as a member of the Strategic Tactical Asset Allocation Committee here here at LPL Research, we often talk about the equity market and obviously prevailing conditions as it relates to Fed expectations in the Fed. And, and we have indeed been looking for some semblance of a of a bounce back in in, in US equities and global equities. So um how, how do you digest the last couple of days of of, of trading activity that
2: we've seen? Yeah, there's there's clearly still a lot of uncertainty uh, out there, Mark. But it's uh, the market has become more sensitive uh, to you know potential upside news Uh, as it's uh, as it's sold off. There's a lot of negative news priced in. When you get a lot of negative news priced in, uh, it means that just small things can can make a big difference. And we've seen some small things. We're going to talk about them uh, them today that have, have shifted the markets. It's just Good to see uh, some positive numbers there.
1: Yeah, and, and that's that's indeed our, our base case scenario in terms of our asset allocation committee work is that um, we think a lot of the bad news is priced in. We think a lot of the Fed expectations is priced in. By no means do we think this is a new bull market. Um, uh, we, we think there, there could be a, a, a better months ahead in terms of equity returns. Volatility is likely going to continue to be high. Uh, we've also equated this current time frame in the market with the, the 2011 time frame ish, and, and, and part of the reason for that is just the uncertainty that's bred by um, Federal Reserve policy and what may or may not happen with with interest rate policy and other central bank policies. That was a key driver. In 2011, it's clearly a key driver in in today's market. So, uh, with us having no and nobody actually having an absolute and utter clear vision in what the what in terms of what the Fed may or may not do, we think we can make an uh, an educated guess on what that what may happen. But um, that's certainly a key driver that that's been um, uh, a number one in terms of our topics at, at the strategic and tactical asset allocation committee. So. Um, with that, moving on to fixed income, which has uh, is, is basically been um, historically a, a bad place to be um, in in 2022, which is highly unusual relative to what we've seen in equity markets. And we'll talk about the 60 40 portfolio uh, today a little bit, you know, um, Barry, but. Uh, bonds are having trouble as the ten-year Treasury hovers around four um, percent. Uh, we expect that to improve, um, and we've, we'll talk a little bit more about that, you know, in in detail. Uh, and then, then the commodities market. Uh, we think in, in terms of the way, in terms of this cycle, um, the 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 good commodities trade is perhaps in, in our rearview mirror at this point. Um, and largely that's been driven by just the general direction of, of central bank policy and their efforts to dial down the economic strength globally, which is generally not a good thing for the, for the commodity uh, complex. Um, if I look to some of the last, last week's key drivers, Barry, um, you know, clearly. We talk about Fed expectations till we're blue in the face, but um, we still are focused on, as, as asset allocators, what's going on at Credit Suisse and the, and the, and the distress that's showing up in, um, in parts of that market. Uh, the policymakers certainly have their eye on that. Market participants have their eye on that as something that um, could break effectively. Um, and I think one of the concerns from market participants is that given all the central bank tightening, particularly at the Federal Reserve level, um, what is likely to break? Um, what, are the, what, are, what are central banks going to break perhaps? And, and you know, Credit Suisse is an example of, a, of an institution that's, that's um, not necessarily uh, ultrasound at this point. So, so policymakers have their eye on that. Market participants have their eye on that. And the and the Bank of England backed off from its uh, support of the gilt's market uh, following an injection of support, twenty billion uh, pound uh, um, injection of support um, to 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 basically offset some of the volatility that was occurring in that market. And I and I asked the question here: Will the Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey do his best Mario Draghi impression? That means that Mario Draghi famously stated at one point during the, the Greece crisis, effectively, um, that we will do whatever it takes to support the market. Um, I don't know that Andrew Bailey's ready to to, to, to stand on that hill, uh, Mario Draghi uh, certainly did, wolves, but but people are keeping an eye on what's happening out of the Bank of England uh, as it relates to the guilds market and to, um, and to Credit Suisse. Um, Turning to you, Barry, uh, on and we'll talk a little bit about the short covering rally on Thursday and what's going on in capital markets over the last yesterday and today. But uh, the CPI number um, down month over month um, in, in terms of a, on a core basis, PPI number as well. Um, so that's a positive, but the progress is awfully, awfully slow. So um you know, as a as a stat committee we're we constantly talk about this, Barry, what what's on your mind in terms of the the inflation landscape today?
2: Yeah, we, we do know we've had a lot of upside surprises. Uh, that's what's pushed the uh, the Fed. That's what's caused them to remain st- steadfast um, on communicating that their emphasis is on fighting inflation. But at the same time, that headline number, we are past peak. Uh, starting to come down a little bit uh, in stack. You know, We take a look underneath the, the hood and see what's going on with different numbers. Uh, we think that that pressure is going to be there. And might it turn out to happen more slowly than people expect? Uh, it very well might. We're, we, we will have to see. Uh, but what we don't think is going to happen is it's going to reverse directions or stay elevated Um that gravity of starting to pull it down, whatever the pace might be, that gravity of starting to pull it down, uh, is starting to be there. And that might be part of what the market was was reacting to. The initial reaction before the market even opened, uh, looking at that number at 8.30 in the morning is, oh, another upside surprise. Uh, And then the market may be looking around a little bit and saying, where where are we big picture with inflation? Well, things, even with the surprise, they're starting to move in the right direction. Um, That momentum might actually be meaningful.
1: Yeah, and that's, again, you, you focus on our base case as a strategic and tactical asset allocation committee, and our view there is that we we have an expectation that inflation is going to continue to subside, and perhaps the Federal Reserve is, uh, is going to do less about inflation um, as we move through the next few months ahead. Not that they're not going to be on their horse in terms of rate increases in the next couple meetings, because we think they are but um, we, we believe that the picture gets better in terms of visibility into falling inflation. We saw that in last week's numbers, not to a great degree, but we did continue to see it, it tick down. And again, not as fast as we would have expected, um, but it is moving in the right direction. Inflation expectations, uh, as it relates to the University of Michigan survey, um, ticked up a little bit um, in the in the near term, but the five year, five to ten year inflation expectation number continues to be well, relatively well grounded. Moving to U.S. bank earnings, which I think started out fairly well for the market. You know, uh, Barry, I think some of the numbers were were we call it generally serviceable. I think. Um,
2: That's good good wheat, phrase. Good.
1: Yeah, weakness in IPO activity and and. But you know what interest rates increases will give you is improving net interest margins. Any any comment on the on the start turning season, Barry, especially as it relates to some some of the key money center banks?
2: Yeah, not not relating to the banks, but just big picture uh, expectations have been taken down a lot, uh, and so the the prospects to to top the lower expectations, they're they're actually pretty good and so it's one of the things that we're going to be watching the first thing is uh can we top those expectations seems likely that uh that we'll be able to and then is that actually going to have a market impact given that they've been taken down uh so much but the setup for earnings season uh it's actually okay given lower expectations
1: yeah um uh, agreed, and I think um, so far, in terms of the trading activity and some of the money center banks, uh, I think those numbers were generally um, well received. Key uh, uh, economic data this week in the U.S. Uh, just to update where we are from a capacity utilization and industrial production numbers, which we got this morning. Not not a heavy week of data. And, and Barry, I want to get you know, some of your preliminary comments on uh, what may happen at in terms of the fed page book release, but capacity utilization uh, came in at uh, 80.3, relative to the 80.0 prior uh, months number and the consensus estimate of um, uh, 79.8, so a little bit better than expected in terms of capacity utilization. Industrial production was also better than expected relative to the prior and to the estimate. Um, at positive 0.4. What does that mean effectively? That probably means that supply is continuing to, to rise. Um, so if we think of the supply-demand construct that's important in, in the inflation discussion, uh, additional amounts of supply driven by greater capacity, more industrial production activity, uh, may create that disinflationary construct of that supply-demand um balance that we see out there. Um, I, I don't know that it's, it, it's that material in terms of uh, its it direct and immediate impact on inflation, but something to think about. I mean, one thing that we got when we um, were uh, constraining supply chains or supply chains were being constrained was that lack of available goods um, with capacity utilization and industrial production lifting up, we're, we're getting more and more available goods which perhaps could put a downward pressure on on overall prices. Uh, turning to the Fed beige book, Barry, a um, well, um, couple of things that we've come to mind here in terms of just a general sense of the economy, a general sense of what's going on in the jobs market is, is, as the Fed keeps a close eye on both. Um, any any thoughts around what market, to, market participants may want to see out of the Fed beige book?
2: Yeah, the the beige book is a uh, the opportunity that the Fed has in a way to uh, to talk to Main Street rather than Wall Street. They have business contacts within their districts. They talk to the business contacts, really trying to figure out what's what's going on on the ground. Uh, that gets uh, put together, um, and then if you want to, you can do some quantitative work on on taking that qualitative data and and seeing what's in there, but. Uh, They're really big picture things that we're looking for. This is going to be an early indication on what is going on with the the job market. Uh, It's a big priority that uh, this very tight job market starts to loosen up. That's part of what they're looking for. That has an impact on inflation. Uh, It's continued to remain tight. Uh, Being able to go out and actually speak to people and say, hey, what's going on before all the numbers get put together might give us an early sign. So I think they're going to be watching that very closely. Uh, they also get a sense of what's going on with prices uh, as well uh, and how people are responding to it district by district. So not surprisingly, those are the two key things, but more of that Main Street perspective, and we get a chance to see more of that Main Street perspective too, uh, and that's uh, that's significant.
1: Yeah. Um, final talking point for this piece of information, initial jobless claims are likely to come in a little bit higher than, than normal, like because of the perhaps the hurricane Ian impact there. So something to keep an eye on on Thursday. Um, not, not a whole lot to really take home from what's going on economically in, in, in uh, areas outside of the U.S. Probably the biggest key is going to be consumer price index numbers out of the U.K., uh, in the eurozone, consumer confidence on Friday uh, in the eurozone will will be notable. Um, the um, zoo economic sentiment number out of Germany um, was was that, was indeed better than expected. So that's that's something to kind of uh, take take note of as well as we look across um, other areas of the globe. Uh, upcoming this week, um, we did get the banks starting things off late last week, and we'll see a whole lot of uh, earnings activity over the next several weeks. This week, we'll start in earnest uh, in seeing some uh, key companies uh, other than banks start start to report. We are expecting 1.9% year-over-year growth in in uh, Q3 EPS out of the S&P 500 index. Uh, Barry, we touched on some of the Fed Page book activity we talked about initial jobless claims the Bank of England um, another thing that perhaps is not on a lot of people's radars but the 20th China Communist Party Congress began on Sunday lasts for about a week and and um, policymakers in China and, and it has a they, they have a big decision to make is that, and, and that decision is who's going to run the country? Um, and it, it, it seems to be it's going to be Xi Jinping again. Barry, I mean, how, how should investors think about what's going on in China this week?
2: Yeah, this, this is important. Uh, the, the policy in China for a long time has been uh, you get two five-year terms uh, as the leader, and then you, uh, you hand it off. As a matter of fact, you, uh, you prep that handoff five years before you depart so that they have uh, continuity. Xi Jinping has come up, uh, come in, uh, his government has been much more uh, autocratic uh, than we've seen over the last several decades. And he's changing the rules. Uh, you, could, It's not quite parallel, but you could think about if you're in the United States and we have uh, a limit of two terms for president and the president came along and you know, made a change and said, hey, I'm going to be here for three. Uh, it would be pretty radical. And it's pretty radical in this case as well. He is very likely uh, to get appointed for a a, a third term, um, and that means uh, that he is in charge, uh, as much as any leader in China has been over the last several decades, uh, and this means that we're going to get more of the same, which has been uh, has been challenging, uh, more tension with uh, with Taiwan, um, you know, more battles over intellectual property. Uh, more of the zero COVID policy in the near term. I mean, he's the kind of person who doubles down on all of his policies, uh, you know, views it as representing himself personally with what he's doing. Uh, and this is going to be continue to be a, a challenge for the United States, an important part of uh, of our policy. So it's not going to have an immediate market impact, uh, but it's certainly something to to watch um, probably incrementally lowers the attractiveness of emerging market equities for investors.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, uh, Barry. I mean, I, I think maybe back, call it 15 years from uh, ago, that I think the the expectation was China was going to in increasingly westernize its economy. Uh, and Xi Jinping has some other thoughts about that. Uh, um, and that's apparent in, in another another term from him perhaps um, continues that 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 general direction of 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 China and that and that instability on a relative basis in China and also obviously the instability in Russia uh, is, is certainly something to think about when it comes to putting uh, money to work in in global uh, capital markets. Um, the the German economic sentiment we mentioned a little bit better than expected actually minus fifty nine point two versus minus. consensus expectations that is directionally positive. Um, And then we're going to get into a little bit of uh, technical support for U.S. equity markets, some conversations around from Janet Yellen, treasury secretary on on a treasury buyback program, touch a little bit on what that is and then cover and try not to get too wonky with some regulatory ratios but the supplemental leverage ratio and what that means for for capital markets as well. So let's take a first look um, at what has been a a technical bounce for equities, or at least a point of potential bounce here. Um, you know, Barry, putting your uh, technical analysis hat on, we're looking at Fib- Fibonacci retracements highlighted by the red arrow at zero, and then the the dotted line at fifty percent and. Um, that's notable back in, in, in history and, and today, as the two um, circles show. What's the what's the takeaway here?
2: Yeah, fifty percent retracement uh, off of the March bottoms from 2020, uh, going into the highs that we made just at the very beginning of uh, of this year. Uh, that's a psychologically important level, especially with a market that is selling off and has a negative, a lot of negative sentiment in it. Uh, oftentimes, those psychologically important levels can become rally points. Uh, this is uh, a little bit reinforced by those uh, being at about the same level as those small peaks that we saw later in uh, in the year in uh, in 2020. So we are getting a, a bounce. We'll have to see how long this bounce lasts, how far it can uh, it can potentially go. Uh, but not completely surprising to uh, to see the markets approach these points uh, and have these points become, at least in the near term, a, a rally point for equities.
1: Yeah, and, and we've talked about, you know, uh, in, in several corners of LPL research about the the level of weak sentiment that we're seeing in multiple different indicators. Um, and, it, and we we have been commenting as an asset allocation committee that indeed the market is is uh over oversold so um the the, you know the we were right for a, a effectively a technical balance we'll see how long it lasts and we'll see if there can be any other fundamental drivers uh that would carry us perhaps a little bit further um so if i go to um one of those potential drivers if you will if we can call it that and this is problematic for the Treasury. This is problematic for the Federal Reserve. And this chart measures um, liquidity in U.S. government security. So higher is not good in terms of, of a Treasury market liquidity. Um, and this has been a problem, again, for, for policymakers in terms of the way th- they think about it something that we've talked about a lot in our asset allocation committee meetings that yes the federal reserve is tightening policy um but what's what are they doing actually to affect uh, liquidity in the treasury market's been a chief concern a point of conversation for us indeed they're impairing the liquidity in the treasury market um and you know that has come up in conversation Quite a bit um, from policymakers, including uh, Janet Yellen. Um, it, what, what has also come up is this this supplemental leverage ratio. And again, I don't want to get into you know regulatory you know bank regulation one hundred one here, but uh, the supplementary leverage ratio is a measure of tier one capital over total total leverage exposure. So, what has been talked about in the market is that the the Federal um, or the Federal Reserve could in fact exclude Treasury securities from that leverage calculation um, and thereby allow of uh, financial institutions an opportunity to buy more Treasury bonds um, and not be impaired in terms of their overall three percent ratio limit in terms of the SLR. So, uh, the Federal Reserve took similar action or exact this exact action. In the months, and I believe it was April of 2022, immediately after the beginning of of the COVID distress to improve liquidity in the treasury market. If they take similar action, which is again being talked about in Washington, D.C., that uh, ostensibly could, could enhance demand for treasuries. Uh, and perhaps push down, you know, market interest rates. So why would they do that effectively? Because of the chart that we just showed you um, to enhance liquidity in the market in, in a market to be that's being troubled by a relative lack of liquidity. And finally, um, just again, comments coming from Jan- Janet Yellen on on her concern over Treasury liquidity, uh, and there's been some some conversation around perhaps instituting treasury buyback something that the that the Treasury's Treasury Department instituted in the, in the early 2000s effectively using new issuance issuance to retire existing securities in effect to support certain areas of the yield curve. Uh, this issue came up in the most recent US Treasury's quarterly survey at primary dealers, which is effectively feedback from primary dealers, to the US Treasury. Um, again, feedback around the concern that they have around the lack of liquidity in the treasury market and perhaps the need for policymakers to do something to step in uh, to firm uh, that relative lack of liquidity. Um, so something to keep an eye on, perhaps one of the reasons why uh, and, uh, we've gotten a little bit of a bounce out of equities and, and risky assets yesterday and we continue to see that today, if, if the Federal Reserve and, and the U.S. Treasury is going to step in to support um, the U.S. Treasury market, then um, that is something to, to note, uh, not only if you're a bond investor, but also if you're um, an equity investor uh, as well. So, Barry, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to you in terms of this, this chart. I mean, we've talked a lot about it. Lawrence Gillum, our fixed income strategist, has led the conversation that the upside potential in, in bonds at this point seem to outweigh the downside risks effectively if we're, if we're thinking about interest rate policy and, and perhaps peaking interest rates already in the market. Um, we've long talked about as market participants the, the relative lack of income producing assets available to us in the market um, that's no longer the case today, based on the direction of of uh, interest rates. Um, so we are we're looking at fixed income as as perhaps an opportunity. Um, tough to really say, given the, the the fixed income market that we've endured so far. But um, how, how do how does the asset allocation committee think about fixed income today in terms of how uh, market participants could, could consider their exposure?
2: Yeah, it's the starting point is just to look at those numbers. Um, You know, the way that bonds work, uh, you you know, the price that you're going to get for them for when they mature, and that gives them a a particular yield. You know what that is up front. Uh, And those numbers have been low for a long time, really low. It's been tough, really tough to be a saver. Uh, You just could not get any yield. You could not get any income. If you look at the yields now uh, on different basic asset classes of bond, and that's what you got in the no change column. Those are basically the the current yields. Uh, The broad investment grade bond index, the the Bloomberg aggregate bond index, the yield now is over 5%, 5 5.03%. And that sets your return expectation um, and gives you an idea of the, uh, the income that you can potentially generate from it as well. And for bonds, most of their return actually comes from income. This is a different environment for bond investors than we have seen in over a decade. These uh, starting numbers are they're, they're sound. They are a good foundation to uh, to start investing. Uh, and we do have a little information. Well, what if the yields go down, and you can see the uh, the impact. Uh, if that happens uh, and that would improve the return, and what if they go up? Because we know that that's been a concern uh, as well. Uh, even if they go up a, a lot from here, and that would be a, a big move from this point, up a full uh, percent, most of those numbers still gains. Um, so that's the <laughs> that's the downside piece, right? If we end up on that right-hand side uh, and the numbers are pretty solid, uh, if they stay flat um, and our expect expectations are more towards them staying flattish from here, uh, you see what your return expectation is uh, over the next year. Um, and those are just pretty solid numbers. It's The, the losses in bonds uh, year-to-date have been uh, so high, so unusually high, that a lot of investors are running away from bonds. Uh, but we think that that actually gets it backwards. And that's the conversation that we're having in the Asset Allocation Committee uh, you know, as appropriate for your portfolio, it's actually potentially a good time to invest in bonds because those yields are so solid. Yields that we really haven't seen uh, in a decade or more. Um, and if you get that return uh, for a bond portfolio, those are some fairly attractive returns. Yeah. Yeah, Barry. I
1: mean, it's kind of the whole uh, blood in the streets type of thing, right? Is where, I mean, we've had a, a terrible bond market, terrible equity market. But if you're if you're approaching retirement and and you need to put away some assets uh, for income, or if you're in in retirement, you want to put away some some investments for for income, you you you're you're given an, a, a a good opportunity to do that given market conditions today. Um, so we've talked a little bit about that in 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 this uh, in this forum, and and this is just another example of what what could happen if if we get. If we get uh, Treasury, uh, Treasury Department support in, in the US Treasury market, if we, we get a, 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 a change to the SLR policy, as we, as we mentioned, that could be bullish for, for bonds, bullish for equities as well. But I mean, just simply stated, if, we, if bonds go nowhere in terms of interest rates, um, the yields are relatively attractive, especially if you're um, an, an investor in need of income-producing uh, assets. Very again, kind of leaning on you here. I know you've done some work around the old 60 40 portfolio, and, and obviously, it's been bad news here recently in terms of what we've seen over the last several quarters. But, um, you know, as we kind of just touched on, um, now may be a, a, a good opportunity and, and certainly not a time to run away from the old 60 40 allocation allocation.
2: Yeah, we get a lot of questions. Is is 60-40 dead. Uh, should it be avoided? Is it no good anymore? We've had uh, three consecutive quarters of negative returns. We've actually done that twice before, or once before where we've had three, another time uh, where we've actually had uh, sticks. The difference with the more recent quarters is that usually when you have those long stretches, uh, it's driven by negative stock returns. And uh, over the the year to date, we've had negative bond returns as well. And that's what's actually I think created the challenge and has created the, uh, the, the conversation for people uh, is the three quarters that we've had more recently. Um, but we do think it actually sets it up for upside. I think you can arguably even say that looking out over the next decade, uh, the conditions are potentially better for 60-40 bond portfolio than they've been in a while. On the bond side, we just looked at that picture that we had with uh, with yields. Uh, we've seen how far the yields have moved. Uh, the yield on the ag, uh, the, the broad <laughs> investment grade benchmark that most people use a year ago, that was a little over 1.6%. Uh, we just saw now it's over 5%. That is a big improvement uh, in the potential return prospect over the long term. The other side of it on the stock side is uh, we often look at valuations, uh, and the valuations have come down a lot as well, and that provides a potential boost on the bond side. So 60-40, uh, it's, it's not dead right now. Uh, we think that it's, it's an opportunity. It's very much alive. Uh, now, there's a third piece of it that we can add in, which is that we just took a look at what the worst quarters have been for the 60-40 portfolio, just taking it out of this chart. Uh, if we take a look at the, the next slide uh, and, uh, in fact, uh, what has happened um, in the following year, next quarter, next two quarters, uh, next year. Um, and you can see that the uh, the averages are pretty robust. Uh, if you take a look at that, um, this chart is actually just the equity piece of it, not the 6040 piece of it. So. Uh, you see the uh, the 10 worst quarter in particular in particular for equities. And second quarter from 2022 uh, was part of that list, uh, down 16% over the look back that we actually have. Um, and the average return that you have is about double what you would get if you looked at all potential periods. Uh, you would get the same thing about roughly on the bond side as well. And if you put it together, um, you know, one year later, after the worst quarters for a 60-40, on average, you're up about 5.5%. If you looked at all quarters, uh, if you looked at the 10 worst quarters over that same period, um, it's not on this chart, but I have the number in front of me. It's a 12.3% uh, average. Uh, now, every period is unique. Um, so doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get there. There's a variety of returns that you can actually get um, but the, the big picture is good things are happening underneath the surface, even if it doesn't feel like it. Uh, if you see periods of negative returns, it often sets you up for a period of positive returns looking forward.
1: Yeah, Barry, and and the the capital markets are a forward-looking mechanism, right? And we and I think we've priced in quite a bit of bad news in terms of inflation and F- Federal Reserve and other central bank expectations. We talked about that. Um, and we also know that typically interest rates peak prior to the Federal Reserve actually being getting done with policy. You know, typically a a, a six month variance there between um, the actual peak and when the Fed is done raising interest rates. We're around about that right now. Um, so, so it you know it, it's it's not an easy time to put money to work in equities or or bonds. We we understand that, but. Um, uh, there are opportunities to head to in, do exactly that. We touched on we touched on some uh, bond issues, some bond opportunities, and now here are some some equity o- opportunities as well. Um, if if we're correct in our base case from an asset allocation committee perspective, and inflation continues to trend down, the Federal Reserve perhaps has to do less hard work as a result of that. Perhaps other policy levers that may be pulled. Um, that could improve things in a, in, a, in a relative hurry. Not that we're expecting us to dramatically bounce back from a risky asset perspective, but we do think the opportunity is there given a, a, a pretty definitive oversold uh, condition. So um, Barry, last word today at, and on the Market Signals podcast, anything to, to, for investors to walk away with?
2: No, it's a, a pleasure to be on. Uh, I, I, I'll just reemphasize what you said. Markets are forward-looking. Um, And often that means that all that they're looking for with the economy potentially turning is is green shoots, right? They just need to see the the beginning, things getting bad at a slower pace. Um, That's often enough because that often tells you something about what's going to happen looking forward. uh, And that's what we're going to be watching for. If we see it, we'll tell you about it on the podcast.
1: Yeah, and indeed, Barry. Um, I appreciate you joining me today, folks. Thanks for for joining uh, the Market Signals podcast. Um, it's a it's a pleasure for us to be here, and um, we will check in with you next week.
0: This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets asset classes and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through